0: It's the Blues Rock Show with Pete Francis and Willie Witten.
1: Welcome to the Blues Rock Show. I'm Pete Francis, joined by Willie Witten. Today, our special guest is Blue House, who just released his debut album. And this is an album we had listed on our most anticipated albums of 2021. So, Blue House, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you, Pete and Willie, for having me again. We spoke, Pete, during the the pandemic last year, I remember. So it's good to be back in the show and announcing the album. Now we talked about it before, now it's a reality.
1: Yeah, now it's reality. You had put out a couple singles before and now the whole album is out there and kind of into the world. What were you looking to achieve with this album? It is a very fresh sounding album.
2: Yes. Yes, thank you very much. I mean, it's really the first experience that I have uh, as a solo artist, right? I always been in bands that kind of democracy, that kind of like writing songs together, everybody putting their ideas. So this was like my own baby to say it, you know, so I spend time just writing on my own, just seeing what ideas come from you naturally without anybody else interfering in your ideas, right? So for me, it's it's really like planting that seed to begin this new chapter. I don't see it like as the as the main goal, you know, it's like we're back, here's my album, but let's talk again in the fourth album. You know, that's, that's my mentality. So, so for me, it's kind of like a rebirth of a new chapter to go solo, to try new things with a more mature mindset in all sense as a person, as knowing about the industry, about playing and everything. So, so yeah, it's really like a new, a new life.
0: So this album because I think of your work with Stone Giant, Mm -hmm. that was hard prog rock, a lot of mystical dark energy. And then this album that you just released, I'm listening to it, I'm like, wow, there's a little bit of reggae, there's some gospel, there's of course some rock, there's a lot of stuff. All of it you're very well versed in. Is this stuff you had been saving up for a while or did you just come to it when you said, hey, this is the album I'm gonna write?
2: I think so. Uh, that's a nice way of, of putting it. I think it's something that I was waiting to do eventually on my own. I, I've always had that kind of that kind of bluesy gospel soul kind of kind of vibe and 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 influences. But when you're in a band, you you start adapting, right? So maybe these ideas that you're hearing in this album would come in in a rehearsal of Stone Giant, but. But being filtered by all the people and the influences and the personalities, it becomes what you hear on that Stone Giant album, right? Um, Which is definitely more hard rock. All that prog you talk about is because we spend so many hours rehearsing and jamming and improvising that we would, those instrumental things you don't really compose on the studio or by your own. You have to like have hours of rehearsal for that to be crafted out, you know? So, but yes, I definitely feel, I mean, I don't wanna, I, I, Stone Giant was a great moment and we did some great music and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but I guess I, I can feel more myself with this sounds, with what I'm saying on the lyrics, with how I'm playing guitar. It's all about eventually giving yourself the, the opportunity to also enjoy the music that you're playing. Also, when you play live, you want to play something that enjoy that you enjoy, not something super hard that you're thinking too much of, of how you're gonna do that performance, right? I really like that jamming and open, open thing, you know, like like in the Keep on Rolling, uh, one of the main tracks. The song fades out with a solo, but when I'm live, I might solo for ten minutes. We'll see how much the audience lets me solo, you know. So I leave the, those open spaces for my. Uh, interpretation in a moment um, but yes definitely the styles that you're talking about I feel way more identified with those and and like I said this is just like the first ideas as a solo artist that I'm expressing you know so we'll see where it goes
1: yeah one of the tracks that kind of has stood out to me as being a little different and it's not one of the singles that you've already put out it's Generation Calling I thought yeah. that had a very kind of fresh cool sound to it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that track?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's one of the most powerful tracks in, in the album for me, too. The reason I put out those singles this year, it's because they blend a bit more with with more pop bluesy chill vibe to kind of uh, mix with everything uh, that the album has. Right. Which is in, in its essence, it's more rock and roll than what you're hearing on the singles, I guess um but that song was made spontaneously in the in the in the studio we were like we just put a beat like a and i started mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i started doing that melody and then it just stick to my head and then we put up some some uh some fuzzy guitars it reminded me a bit of like uh you know, are you satisfied by Rainwolf? You know that sound? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Let's mix it. Let's mix it with that song, too, uh, with, with, with those guitar sounds. And then it just became kind of like an anthem. And I brought the gospel singer, uh, Marielle Epps. I, I brought her into the studio. She was referred by a friend. And then we started talking and all of a sudden she was telling us stories. With Michael Jackson, she did backing bo- back vocals for for Bowie, for Prince, for a very famous Argentine uh, guitarist called Papo. So it was like one of those things that I didn't plan for it, but it ended up being that way. And and, and yeah, it's a uh, it's gonna be a powerful track to play live. It's definitely more instruments. I also got my friend from Berkeley, Stefano, on the on the violin. You know, so. It's kind of like this epic track, kind of like for a Tarantino movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it sounds
2: great. I loved it. Thank you. Uh,
0: One of the questions you talked about, a famous Argentine guitarist, Mm -hmm. and that's where you're from. You spent a lot of time by way of Miami and then through Berkeley. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask, looking at the South American rock, blues rock, and blues scene, how is it different from the North American scene that's going on? Do you keep in touch with it? Are there things that you think that we, or at least Pete and I, as primarily North American listeners are missing out? Who are some great bands that are South American based right now that the American audiences are missing out on?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about right now, like specifically right now, new bands that are doing this this, this rock and roll sound down in Argentina. But we've only always been like a very rock oriented country the people go crazy you know the big artists love going to argentina because when you go to 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 play a show the audience just sings back to the songs it's like they're watching a football match you know soccer um, so they go crazy and they love it there's a, a lot of rock and roll crowds there i i've played with stone giant lollapalooza and a bunch of other festivals with gorillas arcade fire and the crowd just goes crazy and of course when they realize that i was from from argentina as well their connection was even bigger right but my influences always have been from the classic rock you know from from london times the blues in in the u.s um so even though i lived in argentina for for some time of my life i've always been listening to the to the english dudes you know on the blues and 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 what's going on here in the u.s but if you look at the bands from the 70s in argentina like papo there's this band called pescado rabioso which means like a like a wild fish uh, by this very famous uh, Argentinian composer called uh, Luis Espineta. That that was his name. They, then you you have like uh, Charlie Garcia. All, all these people, uh, they were kind of mimicking what was going on in the blues. Papo really sounds like a British kind of guitar player, like Eric Clapton kind of in, in a sense. So they all really got that influences from from here, from the US, from the blues, from England. Um, I'm not sure about today, to be honest, what band would make that cut, you know? But there's, I'll have to send you a list of some really great 70s, 80s, rock and roll Argentinian bands that you're gonna love. It it sounds like Sabbath and Zeppelin, it it sounds all like that.
0: So you also mentioned that your roots have always been in the classic rock, sort of that British rock. I've heard stories and I don't know how many of them are true, but when you took that attitude to Berkeley college of music, how was that received? Cause I've heard, and maybe I'm wrong, that there's an impetus. There's a push to make you more into a sparkly polished jazz guy, but you okay. seem to have come through Berkeley with all your rock roots intact. How did you manage? How was that received?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. And, and, and something that I always think about, uh, I don't like to say it this way, but, but in a sense, uh, the school uh, changed uh, after not just me, but after my generation of the musicians that I went there. You know, it, it all, the planets aligned and there were a lot of rock and roll players uh, during my time. And making Stone Giant was a big step to kind of influence others as well on, on making their own rock bands. In the college, you know, we were like the band that would play everywhere, you know, and the, and, and the festivals and, and the venues and the parties. We've done all that, right? And, and it opened up like this rock and roll scene in Berkeley that when I got there, it wasn't there, to be honest. And the first two semesters I did, uh, my guitar teachers were pushing me to, to, to play jazz. So uh, the first Berkeley uh, exam I did, I did Donna Lee by Charlie Parker. <laughs> Like all that, you know? Uh, and then I did some, some uh, West Montgomery and by my third semester, I said, this is not who I am. This is not why I came here. So I switched from that and I played the solo of David Gilmore Comfortly Numb for an exam. And from there, I just started telling my teachers, you know, I, I want to do rock and roll. I started getting together with friends. It's very important to meet outside class right in the rehearsal space we would spend hours at night jamming with people from all over the place but it was always very rock and roll blues oriented guitarists who want to come and solo so we kind of like developed this scene to be honest and 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 now there's way more rock and roll bands it's way more accepted uh there's a lot of bands going on and then of course the the final dessert that we put with the jimmy page uh, graduation you know that was like just finishing everything uh, the best way possible, and and just opening up this this rock and roll scene in Berkeley that that now is, is way more open.
1: Yeah, and you just mentioned Jimmy Page. You were able to make a, a connection with him at, at a fairly young age. How yeah. did that come about, and can you tell us more about your connection with him?
2: Yeah, yeah. This is a story that I told all over the press in Argentina about, uh, when, when it happened, when I used to travel there, uh, but I, I don't think I, I told it here too much, but I mean, rare things in life. When I was younger, I ended up dating a a girl uh, that I'm still in touch with sometimes. Um, She ended up being Jimmy Page's niece. Crazy, crazy situation. So from there, it was just like I got to have the opportunity to meet him at some point. So when I was 19, I went to London and I met him. Um he saw me play guitar, he really opened up. We started talking about everything. Um, we we just had like a nice, a nice moment, very surreal moment, you know, me asking him questions for an hour. It it felt like an interview. Um and from then on, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna there was just a feeling that I had that I said I'm gonna meet him again, but through my own means, you know, "not, not somebody who invites me here. So when I was about to graduate Berkeley, they always bring uh, major artists for the commencement, right? They brought Bowie, Steven Tyler, B.B. King, everybody's been there. Um, so I make an approach and I'm like, hey, we have this connection with, with, with Jimmy Page. You know, wh- why don't we bring him to Berkeley and, and, and just do this whole ceremony and give him the honorary doctorate, which is what they do. And then you play a concert. Very like naive, like if you wanted, this is a possibility. And I was on a trip uh, during the summer and I got a call and it's like, Hey, he's coming. He said, yes, let's go. So, wow. That was like, okay, now it's actually happened. So we went back to Boston. We planned the whole concert and, and we ended up playing for like 10,000 people in the Boston university stadium uh, in the Gannis arena. And Jimmy was on, on row number four. And I kind of made uh, a team of the, of the rock and roll friends that we had in Berkeley. And we ended up playing like, we did Stairway, we did Good Times, Bad Times, how many more times we did The Ocean. With him on the audience, you know, it was like, it was crazy. So, yeah, that, that's a very funny, funny situation uh, of, of how things happen. I remember I had a, after the show, I had a meeting with one of the Berkeley people. Um, and, and he introduced me to another uh, person. At, at, he, he, he said, like, here's the guy who ruined Commencement forever. You know, like we won't, we won't top that for years, you know, Um, it was, yeah, it was just a a great moment that I'm gonna carry it with me forever. And I guess I'll keep talking about this story forever because it's it's like, how did I end up here, you know? Yeah, and so
1: you're covering Led Zeppelin in front of Jimmy Page. So what are your nerves like in a situation like that?
2: (laughs) Pete, I spent four months every single night learning those parts. Even when I knew them by heart, I would still practice because Jimmy's soloing is very strange. You know, it's just that thing that either you have to really pay attention or just he he's the only one who does it. You know, the way he moves the fingers and the licks he's doing. So I spent months, months uh, just rehearsing over and over the same solo. You know, I ended up playing the solo for Stairway, but But to be honest, there were there was no nerves in the situation. I was very an automatic pilot, very focused on the on the important task that I had to play for all those people and Jimmy in the audience. We went to a bar across the street with the band and we had some tequila shots. (laughs) I don't know if Berkeley knows about this. (laughs) Uh, We were we were old. We were above 21, so it's fine to say it. Um, And we went back on stage and it was I don't know, it was really, to, to this day, one of the most, if not the most, like mental powerful uh, shows I've done, you know, it was it, it really felt like an out-of-body experience, like you could see yourself moving the fingers, but you're just like an automatic, and yeah, to this day, it was a very spiritual moment, as to say.
0: You said you got to speak with Jimmy for about an hour. Mm-hmm. Are there any key little nuggets of wisdom or tips or just stories that he shared with you that if you can share them really yeah. stuck in your mind?
2: Look, I wish I would remember everything, but it was such a rush that I don't remember everything I talked. This so so this was uh, the last day, the last day that I was in London before going back. Um that was the day that we really hit it off. I was playing uh, with his son. We were jamming. He was playing drums and I was playing guitar, and he was on the other room. Uh, I knew I had a few hours before I left, and I hadn't had that connection that I wanted with him. Um, so I said, uh, "Ashen to 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 his son, hey, let's go play." So I started playing really loud, and all of a sudden the door opens, and you can <laughs> and you can see Jimmy just like, "What are you guys doing here?" You know, and then he just came literally in front of me I was like just playing and he was like looking at me play and then I ended up playing and and that's when he opened up to me you know he started asking me questions he even said like how are you going to the airport and I said I'll just take a taxi you know because we were like in outside London and he said don't worry I'll take you so he calls up a, a, a taxi and and he was in the front with the driver I was in the back and it was like an hour drive to 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 the to the Heathrow airport right um, so it was just blasting and blasting questions till the, to the moment that the driver, who was kind of Jimmy's age, he looks at him and he's like, who are you? Right. Cause <laughs> I was like asking. And I said, you don't know who he is. And he didn't know because Jimmy hadn't appeared yet and they might get loud. So you maybe didn't know how he looked at that time. And I said, I better not say it. I better not say it because what I'm gonna be like, hey, this is Jimmy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so I just stay quiet. But I asked him everything, man. I asked him like if he knew Jimi Hendrix. I think he said no. I think he said he never met Jimi. Uh, I asked him about if he knew how to read music, because I was kind of worried about that uh, going to audition to Berkeley, and he said he didn't really need it, right? But but during the session times, they would like put put like a chord chord chart to him and he was very good at like making riffs around the the courts not just playing the 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 court so he became kind of like known about that like very good making riffs around chord progressions then I asked him about um I told him I was going to Berkeley he said you should definitely do it I don't know I asked him about about soccer too he said he was a, a very fan of like Manchester City or Manchester United and Tevez, who is like an Argentine player, very famous in soccer. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, I did ask him something that I, had, that I had a question about. When you listen to the album, and, and this can be like a lesson for, for recording and touring artists. When you listen to the album uh, of Led Zeppelin, all the albums, and you listen to the live show, there's something different going on, right? You, know, you guys notice that. Yes. There, there, there's way more improvisation and openness and not actually playing the, the exact parts or the exact solo as they're recording. So that's what he said. You know? He said, the, the studio is one world, the live show is another show. And the, the thrilling part of, of the live shows of Zeppelin, he said that they would go out and play, not knowing what was gonna happen in that show musically. right? They would go out with an open mind not knowing what was going to happen in the song maybe they started playing a cover in the middle of the song or the solo goes for like a minute so so that really stuck to me and and because sometimes you hear a band's album and then you go see them live and it sounds like they're just putting play and it sounds exactly like the album sometimes we want that raw experience uh in a live show and and let it extend so so that, that 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 stuck with me too, and I definitely take it to, to the stage when I do that.
1: Um, Imagine being that cab driver who drove Jimmy Page around for an hour and didn't even know it.
2: Yeah, maybe then he saw the movie. Yep, the, you know? it might get loud, and then he's
0: like, "Wow, I really yeah, the, messed that, out."
2: Yeah, that's when when oh, that's how Jimmy looks now, right in the two thousands, <laughs> right? Yeah. So so that's what happened, uh, and I remember I said bye, you know. Uh, and, I said, good luck on the movie. He was about to release that movie. I don't know, man. It's just, we, we can stay here for hours talking about that. I'll, I'll start remembering, you know, but it was just, uh, it was just a thrill, you know?
1: Yeah, that is super cool. So the debut album just dropped. Any final thoughts and where can people kind of hear your music?
2: Well, you can hear it everywhere. We released the album uh, through the orchard. Which is Sony Music's uh, distribution label. So they're helping us out, put it everywhere on Spotify, on YouTube, um, everywhere, Apple Music, iTunes. You can find me on Instagram. My name is Blue House, but it's not written, I don't know, this is maybe backwards, but it's not written as a normal Blue House, you know, it's without the E and the house. There is no German (laughs) reference, it just sounds the house. It sounds kind of German, but it's not um so yeah everywhere everywhere you can you can listen to my music and i'll be releasing the official music video of keep on rolling uh soon cool Cool.
1: yeah so definitely check that out it's a great album i i really enjoyed it and definitely an artist that people need to hear so go check him out blue house thanks so much for coming on the show today. thanks
2: man thank you rock hope to see you guys
1: again All right, that's going to wrap up this week's edition of the Blues Rock Show. For Blue House and Willie Witten, I'm Pete Francis. We'll see you next time.